Good morning, church. Thank you, worship band. That was incredible. So my name is Sean, as you can read from my barely hanging on name tag. <laughs> I think to avoid that falling off later, I will put that off to the side. I'm one of the pastors here at North Sub. It's good to see each one of you, and we're grateful um, for those who are joining us online as well. Um, as you can probably tell, and as you've already heard, today's a family service, so sitting next to you on either side might be someone a little bit younger than you. Um, we're so grateful and happy to have our children in service with us from time to time. So moms and dads, and I'm speaking to myself, don't worry if your child is a little wiggly today. Um, we welcome the wiggles, we love it, and it's part of being a family. Now we are in the middle of a sermon series titled, The Parables of Jesus, where we are hoping to illuminate what Jesus means when he tells these stories, and we're hoping that we can all grow in our wisdom and understanding, that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see. Will you bow with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, you are good and you are great. We thank you for your mercy and we ask that you keep our hearts clean, that we may more perfectly love you and magnify your holy name. Reveal your glory to us, holy God, however you want. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, one of my favorite movies growing up, and I probably shouldn't even say growing up because who am I kidding? It's one of my favorite movies now, is Finding Nemo. It's a movie about, can you guess it? About Finding Nemo. In this story, poor little Nemo gets taken away by a well-intentioned Australian scuba diver after touching the butt, which is a boat. And to find his lost son, Marlin, must travel across the sea and face many dangers, which is hard for this calm fish because he is a particularly cautious little dude. Alas, the story becomes one where he faces many of his fears, such as sharks, the ocean depths, a jellyfish forest, being swallowed by a whale, and almost being swallowed by a bird. After surviving all of these encounters and at least 1,275 miles of ocean travel, I know some of you are wondering, you're welcome, and being reunited with his son, they embrace, they head home, the family is back together, everything is set right again, everything is where it belongs, and they're elated, and us, as the viewer, are also elated. It's a common story of anything or anyone that is lost and then found, returned back to where it belongs. We end with a celebration. We end elated that that thing is put back where it rightfully belongs. Right? Don't you throw just a small party in your living room when you find your lost keys? Or how about a child? How ecstatic are they when they finally find that lost toy that's been missing for a week? Or maybe it was just an hour and it felt like a week. The whole country cheers when a POW returns home. Or, like Marlon, a parent sighs the biggest relief when a lost child is found. Will you turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 15? If you're using the Bibles uh, in front of you, 
you will turn to page 928. Our parable today has everything to do with the examples that we just heard about. Something lost being found. And the joy that comes from finding it and putting it back in its right place. Jesus first shares a story about a sheep and then a lost coin after that. Let's read together, starting in verse 3. So he tells them this parable. What man among you, who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in an open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. The story and imagery of Jesus as a shepherd is pretty common in Christian circles. Anyone remember growing up with a picture of something akin to this in their Sunday school class? It evokes a certain kind of emotion, doesn't it? Like a comfort, something that makes you want to go, ah. Certainly it's great that given the chance, Jesus would indeed gently pick up this sheep and uh, have compassion on it, put it on its back and walk it back to the, to the herd. But this story doesn't actually convey a message quite as sweet as this image. To figure out what this message is really trying to convey, we need to ask a couple questions um, to gain a more full understanding of what's happening before that picture. First, we should probably ask, what made the sheep run away in the first place? I mean, isn't the herd, after all, where protection is most offered? The hearers of this parable certainly would have remembered that David, uh, the mighty warrior and king, he was first a shepherd boy that took down who? Goliath. And you probably remember the story of David and Goliath. How did, let me ask some of our younger listeners, how did David defeat Goliath? Yeah, he threw a rock, a, a sling and a stone, right? Great job. Now, if you gave me a sling and a stone, I would not know what to do with it. I would do very little, I'm sure. There's no doubt in my mind I would definitely not be able to take down a giant coming to attack me. So was David just lucky? Does anyone know how David learned to use his sling? This one's a little bit more tricky. He learned because he was a shepherd. If you go back into 1 Samuel chapter 17, you will read, David answered Saul, your servant has been tending to his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear comes and carries off a lamb of the flock, I go after it. I strike it down and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If it rears up against me, and I won't go into the rest because he goes into some gruesome detail about how he will viciously attack these wild animals in order to save his sheep. We typically domesticate that story, though, don't we? But if someone today was retelling the story of their friend David who took on a lion and a bear, they might say, this guy is an animal. He's a beast. He took on a lion and a bear. So, when the sheep leaves its herd, it must think something along the lines of, I can take care of myself. I don't need that shepherd. 
It's not too dissimilar from Nemo ignoring his father when his father says, don't go over there, it's not safe. The sheep ignores this obvious sign that this is where I'm safe and protected, but I'm going to go over here. So naturally, any good shepherd, as any good shepherd would, they track down the sheep and they bring it back. But in order to bring back a lost animal, it first needs to be caught. Most of us don't really have an appreciation for what this might be like because, I don't know about you, I don't deal with sheep on the daily. I grew up with a cat, however. And whenever this cat um, wanted to go outside, we'd let it because at the end of each day, as the sun was setting, the cat would be there at our front door meowing to let in, to be let in. So this cat knew how to make its way back home. We didn't need to go find her. Anyone here have a dog and perhaps lose that dog? If you did have that happen to you, you probably um, had this experience where when you found said dog, it didn't run away from you. It happily saw its owner wagging its tail would run back to you. But neither of these things are true with a sheep. Sheep, when found, will continue to wander in the opposing direction of its owner, eventually needing to be wrestled and bound to be brought back. Since I don't have any experience with this, I uh, looked up another pastor's experience with this, and he says this. You know, um, when you work with sheep, why you must also work with sheep dogs, why they're necessary. They huddle together and they stay safe because of the fear that they have about that dog. But if one goes away, it continues to go away even though it cannot and will not take care of itself. So you have to tackle it. You have to wrestle it to the ground and you have to bind its legs so that you can shoulder it and carry it to safety. So the image that we have of Jesus carrying the sheep has a lot of other um, notions behind it, doesn't it? Leaving behind what is obviously better for it, the protection of the group and the protection of the shepherd, and even while being pursued, it is silly enough to continue running away, even to the point of being wrestled to the ground. Now, it's kind of fun to poke jokes at these silly sheep until we realize, wait, is Jesus saying I'm a sheep? Like in verse 1 and 2, the Pharisees are complaining that Jesus welcomes sinners, that he eats with sinners. Well, I know I'm a sinner, and he's talking about rescuing sheep in this story. I'm a sheep. Am I not like one of those cats that will eventually come back home on its own? Am I not like that dog that, well, I might wander here and there, but once I see my owner, I happily come back to where it's safe? I'm a sheep. Unless you think that God is above wrestling anyone, remember that Jacob's name in the Old Testament was changed to Israel, which means he struggles with God. And he got that title literally after wrestling with God for an entire night. I don't know about you, but my story of coming to Christ is not too dissimilar from this first type of lost that Jesus is describing. See, I was raised in the church, so I technically knew what was right for me. I knew that being in the herd offered some kind of protection, and yet I still ran away from it. 
In college, I continued to go on my merry way in the opposite direction of God until he began to wrestle me. I had to go through a lot of hurtful things during that wrestling period. I lost friends. I had to rearrange what I thought was valuable or what I thought of myself. But eventually, like Jacob's hip in his wrestling story, I was broken. And God carried me to where I needed to be. I'm a sheep. Anyone else have a story of being wrestled by God before submitting? Or maybe that's you right now. Maybe you feel like I've been wrestling God for a while now. You're talking about me now. I'm in the battle. You might think something like, well, I'm just, I'm not good enough. Or why would God want me anyway? Or why is God doing this thing that I don't understand? I can do it without him. If that's you, can I encourage you to first think that no one here thinks that they're better than you because we also needed to go through that wrestling process. We needed to be wrestled and pinned down to the ground so that God could uh, pursue us and bring us back. And second, that you might be here or you might be listening online because someone has prayed for you and they want so desperately for you to find the very thing that they found and realize that they were in desperate need of it too. Namely, submitting to God's will is so good. It's so good once you do it. Just like someone praying for us to do as they have done themselves. My aunt still enjoys telling the story about how she was praying for me so hard before I met Jesus. And I would, if I'm honest, say before meeting Jesus, I thought those stories were annoying. And after, I'm so glad she was doing it. And I'm glad that she retells it because it's a story of his power and his pursuit in my life. As Pastor Tim has said many times, we are merely beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. And we desperately want to share that with others. Isaiah says it like this, that we are all like sheep and have gone our own way. So let me ask you, class, if you had to sum up so far the experience of the sheep in one word, what would you choose? Is the sheep silly? Is the sheep prideful? Maybe something along those lines. But there's other ways to be lost too, aren't there? The next section that we're about to read tells another version of something that is lost. It's about the coin. Let's read this together, uh, verse 8. Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Now, coins don't sound like much to Western ears, but in many cultures, even today, coins have a higher value than the nickels and dimes that we carry today. Maybe you remember uh, being gifted a silver dollar when you were a child, and that was really fun. Um, it was more valuable than the pennies and whatnot that we carry, um, and it was a while ago, so the value of the dollar increased more so for some of us than others. But I remember um, when I was living in Ireland, and I would be given a handful of change after uh, pretty big purchases, even uh, purchases that came back to me with more than 10 quid. That's the 
slang for pounds, like a buck is slang for dollars. And the coins were really attractive, in my opinion. They had silver and gold uh, rings around them. I think they're more beautifully done than most of the American coins that we have today. Um, but what I found out soon after is that I could actually take care of myself for a day on a pocket of change. I could get rides uh, for taxis or buses around town, or I could even have a whole meal just on pocket change. Well, this woman's coin that she is looking for is more valuable than what we would typically carry in our pocket today. It was probably the equivalent of a day's wage for her. So obviously, she wants to find it. And just like the sheep, the search is not easy. Anyone ever lose a coin between the couch cushions or maybe somewhere in the depths of the car? It's pretty difficult looking in the recesses of your couch only to come out with french fries and toys, right? Well, if that's difficult, it's going to prove more difficult for this woman looking for the coin because it's embedded in some kind of dirt earthen floor. And she seems to be looking in the dark. You can see it in the text. She pulls out a lamp and she's looking. And she's at it. She's really looking for this coin. She's not thinking, well, it'll turn up sooner or later. No, she's active in this process. And so it is with our Lord. Though we might not feel like he's active in pursuing us or that he's active today. And just as this woman lights a lamp for the corners of her house, he's actually the light of the world and he's searching. He's trying to expose darkness for what it is and calling more to him. Now, if you looked just a verse or two ahead, you may be thinking, well, sure, it's a day's wage, so maybe I would go actively search for it. But I saw in this next verse that she is celebrating it. She has a party of some sort. She's asking people, she's inviting people to rejoice with her. Wouldn't that celebration probably cost more than the coin's value? And the answer is yes, probably it would. And that's the point. Because there's a theme within these two parables and the parable that follows. Pastor Tim preached on the parable of the two sons, or you might know it as the prodigal son. The theme is something is lost, something is found, and a party is thrown. There's a celebration of that lost thing. And we read that celebration starting in verses 6 and 7 and then 9 and 10. Let's read this together. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the lost coin, or the silver coin that I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is more joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. And the next parable, the parable of the two sons or the prodigal son, ends this chapter saying, Rejoice with me, he was lost and is found. See, God cares so much for the lost that he and all of heaven rejoices. You see that pattern? And he wants that for everyone. 
when he says back in verse 99, or back in verse 7, that the 99 righteous people who don't need repentance, he was talking kind of tongue-in-cheek because we know that there is not one that is righteous. Some people only think that they're righteous and thus not in needing of, of being found. They don't believe that they're lost. And this parable begins with said people. If you were to go back and read verses 1 and 2, you would see that the Pharisees are the one instigating this conversation. The Pharisees who are complaining about who Jesus is hanging out with, who he's welcoming, who he's eating with. So church, we need to question ourselves and ask, do we rejoice when the lost are found? Or do I have this mind frame of being too righteous, thinking that, my life would sure be a lot easier if person A or person B wasn't around because they're a little different than me. Is it in your heart to orient towards joy when someone different than you approaches or perhaps reminds you of your older self? I think something that can be helpful to remedy this problem is to continuously remind ourselves where we came from. Do you remember that once you were like the sheep and you were like the coin, offering absolutely nothing in the search process? Do you remember that God did all of that work to find you, to seek you? Do you remember that you and I have nothing that makes us worth, uh, worthy of being found, but it's the seeker's worth that derives our salvation? You see, we have this warm image of Jesus carrying a sheep on his shoulders, but do you remember that he shouldered our salvation by shouldering the cross? He didn't just go find us. He himself became that helpless lamb. He became the lamb that was slain. And not only is he like the little lamb, but he's also like the lamp, illuminating the world and seeking the lost. And he does so first by having his light snuffed out on the cross as all the world's sins are put on him. You see, in the story of Finding Nemo, Marlin takes a risk. He takes the risk of almost being eaten by three ferocious sharks with 4,800 teeth. But Jesus actually takes the bite. And he takes that bite for us and he's swallowed up. And he's swallowed up in the belly of death for days. So when one lost soul is found, why does heaven rejoice? Because that sacrifice of being swallowed up by death and taking that bite for us is worth it. Because another is added to the fold. Another is brought back through that sacrifice. So all of heaven celebrates. The hearers of this parable probably would have remembered the traditions for the Passover. And Jesus, the night before he died, also had a Passover. And he had a Passover with his disciples. In a typical Passover, you'll have bread, you'll have the wine, and you'll have the lamb. Bread, wine, and lamb. But this Passover was different because Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he took the cup and they drank from it. But if you read all of the gospel tellings of this last supper, there's no lamb. 
No lamb is mentioned in any of these stories. Why is that? There wasn't a lamb on the table because the lamb was at the table. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world was sitting there having communion, preparing for his own sacrifice. He was the one shepherd who became a sheep in order to bring you and I home. Church, we can be so lost in so many ways. It could be because we're foolish, like a sheep. It could be because of carelessness, like the coin. It could be that we are willful, like one of the sons, or prideful, like another son. But when we are found, let's rejoice in his power and not forget that he saw us. And let's rejoice all the more when others are found. It's only when we continue to remember what he did for us that we will have a heart after him. A heart that says, I want to seek the lost in the same way that Jesus sought me. And we'll rejoice when another enters the fold. And if you're that person sitting here today that doesn't quite get this whole Jesus thing yet, that's okay. Stay for a little while. But can I invite you to ponder the question, if you're resisting God and you're resisting him seeking you, why? What is it that gives you pause? Why are you pushing back? Why are you running away? Can I remind you that to, you, to him, you are not a project? You are not a notch in the evangelism belt of anyone who is praying for you, but you are immensely valuable. You are created in God's image. And we believe that God is seeking so earnestly to have a relationship with you. So our big idea for today is this. Let's have a heart of compassion and a heart of zeal for those who are lost and rejoice with all of heaven when they are found. If it's in your heart to question why a Christian is eating and hanging out with people like so-and-so, remind yourself that Jesus first had com compassion on you and wanted you before you wanted him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your pursuit of us, and we thank you for seeking us even when we are lost. We ask, Lord, that you would help give us hearts to do the same, and that we would have a heart of zeal and compassion for those who are different than us. In Jesus' name, amen.